We are back. Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania podcast. First thing right out the gate, I must say, you look utterly handsome with your new haircut. Thank you very much. But in all seriousness, I've never seen you with like this, like spiky, messy style. And you know what? It looks good, dog. It looks good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I uh, Floyd's Barbershop and I just uh, took a shower. So this hence the spike. Nice. Nice. Floyd's. Now, for people that don't know, Floyd's is kind of a chain in mostly <laughs> like the Santa Monica, Venice area, right? There's I a few so. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because the very first place that Jessica and I technically stayed when we moved to LA like five years ago, because we were in Airbnbs for the first few months as we were, you know, trying to find a place to live and so forth, uh, was in that general area. Marina Del Rey was the first one. And I remember driving around and okay, I saw Floyd's because I needed a haircut. I was like, oh, Floyd's. Then the next day we were driving somewhere else. I was like, wait, I thought I, that place was over. Wait, what? I know there's at least like three of them. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess I had, uh, I had the, 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 the stylist who is the teacher for, a lot of Floyd students. So nice. nice. Yeah. Very good. Um, so what's your question you had for me? You said, so you well, were gonna... I, I, yeah. So it's going to be a shorter than usual conversation, right? Because the script is just so mind blowingly, like, like it's, too much to get into. It's just, it's, it, it's a step above all others. <laughs> yeah. Sarcasm. So I just wanted to hit you with, uh, with a question off guard and see if dog, you couldn't hit me with anything. You couldn't touch this. My head movement is too good. My defense is too good. Okay. Um, So I want to know, I'm going to ask you to name Mm -hmm. a perfect movie, a perfect martial arts movie. A perfect martial arts movie for you, for me. Okay. For me, you're not talking based off of like, standards of cinema and uh a good script and that you're just talking about for me like the perfect martial arts movie yeah a perfect martial arts movie and like just it doesn't have to i mean i guess it could doesn't have to be a one in reality but i mean for me it's it's one in reality one that actually exists what is a perfect martial arts movie for you you see you see the opening credits and as soon as the opening credits hit you're like i'm i'm i know what i'm doing the next 90 minutes this is one of my favorite films. This is perfect. I'm going to enjoy this. Well, my cop-out answer, uh, so I'm going to say this first, is always, I mean, because Enter the Dragon is literally my favorite movie, right? Yeah. Uh, I believe it's a very well-made film. It is my just overall favorite movie. It's a movie I can watch over and over again. These days, actually, I do the opposite. As a kid, I used to, there was a period of time where I watched it once a week. <laughs> but, <laughs> sure. uh, and that's no joke, for about at least a year. Uh and never got bored with it. Now I'm the opposite. I save it for special occasions. Yeah. But for me, you saying that, and this is part of like a little bit of the news I was going to bring in today. For some reason today, when you asked that, the first movie that popped in my head, and probably because I was already going to talk about it, but uh, because it's sometimes, I don't even consider it, uh, it is an old school Kung Fu movie, but it's not due to the year it came out and so forth, is Drunken Master 2. Mm. And I think Drunken Master 2 is and it could be the combination of Lao Garlong and Jackie directing it, you know, when they had their fallout. And so in the end, I think that actually worked out best for us because yeah. we had that old school look, Shaw Brothers looking film for like the first two thirds, that style of choreography that Lao Garlong was known for. Then the last finale, the, you know, 20 something minute finale, we get Jackie style and it's this contrast that just works beautifully. 
And, you know, it's unfortunate that they had the fallout and clash they did, but we as the viewers benefited from that. And I just think Drunken Master 2 is possibly that perfect martial arts movie. I think that's a really good, uh, really good choice. It's actually, I, I can already see like the opening scene, like it, the, I forget. It starts off on the train. That is correct. Yeah. And I can, I, if that movie's on, I will sit down and I'll watch it completely. And the reason why I was going to bring it up anyways, is it was just announced that the Warner brothers archive Blu-ray collection, whatever they're re-releasing it for the first time. It's going to get its, uh, you know, 2k or 4k scan or whatever, from the original film print, they're going to have all the audio versions. Not sure what's going on with special features. Probably not much. Cause like when they released pedicab driver, it came with nothing, but this one is going to be Blu-ray and it is going to have the audio options, which is nice. Cause you do not watch uh, legend of drunken master, the Miramax release from the late nineties. It's terrible. Uh, they actually didn't cut much out, but the fact that they switched it to the dub and they did change the music to a terrible yes. musical score. And the original one, that's another thing. The music is so iconic. It has the Wong Fei Hung theme, which just pumps you up at the end. And that ending fight with Ken Lo, it just doesn't get much better than that. Uh, that that's fantastic. It, it's it's funny because you 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 and I both have like a cop-out answer. Like if you're gonna ask me like um, the same question, I would probably go to like Pedicab Driver, Armor of God, or Wheels on Meals, just from like early viewing days. I expected you to say Martial Outlaw. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. If that's on, I'll watch it. But there are scenes that you can skip. Oh, uh, uh, possibly. So weird yeah. enough. Yeah. But mm. uh, this actually came up because uh, I was just like scrolling through Tubi and like the movie that popped up first is Under Siege. And Ooh. you know what? It's a perfect movie. The casting is it's actually for it. It is. It is the perfect movie. It's funny you bring that up because we were staying with my dad a couple weekends ago, uh, hanging out with him, and we had all Saturday to just kind of, you know, he had watched golf for a few hours. I'm like, all right, let's start a marathon and some action movies. And one of those we watched was Under Siege because it was on HBO Max, and I hadn't watched the first one in a good, like, 15 years. I've always been more of a fan of the second one. I rewatched that one recently. I told you, realized, okay, it's a little dated, and mm-hmm. everything outside of Seagal in the second one is actually still fantastic. Uh, but <laughs> rewatching the first one, I realized two things. One, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. Two, I don't think I had actually ever watched the unedited version. I had only ever watched like the TBS on TV oh. version. And that made a huge difference because nowadays, how often does anybody really watch a movie on basic cable anymore? But you can watch like newer movies that are edited for cable and be like, they hardly have to edit anything out nowadays. You know, they could say almost every curse word. They can show everything. But for people that don't know, movies back in the day, like all the way up at least till the 90s, like especially action movies, the TV version that was allowed to play on basic cable or regular TV were highly edited. Uh, and so Under Siege. And sometimes it's it's violence that nowadays almost seems like nothing. And so me rewatching it, I had a new appreciation for it. And the thing is, and the thing I sometimes tend to forget is Andrew Davis directed that movie. Yes. And he's a phenomenal director. I mean, he, The Fugitive, come on, and Above the Law, right? And it is, it is a very solid, great action movie. It still, in retrospect, definitely has some outdated Seagalisms and kind of awkward Seagal moments, including that like ending kiss 
with uh, yeah. what's her name, Erica Elianak, or what? It's like you could tell she was not happy to be doing that scene. But you want to uh, see my moves? Yeah, you. Hey man, come on, can you show us your moves? But uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying perfect, but it's definitely entertaining. And, and real right, quick yeah. before I forget, yeah. anybody that has Tubi, my hidden gem on the, there right now that you've probably never seen kung fu movie wise, Dirty Tiger, Crazy Frog with Sam O and Lockhart oh, Wing. That's on there. You have to. If, yeah, yeah, anyone listening, you have to watch that. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and so again, for me, like when I'm talking about a perfect film, I'm not talking about like Kurosawa caliber because I mean, if we're actually going to get into like perfect films, oh, I get oh, Yojimbo, Yojimbo is great except the lighting on that, the one leaf that was flying at one point. But no, like, uh, there is a leaf scene that floats in Yojimbo. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just all the elements are there for a perfect Seagal film. And it's, you know, I've always, I've always argued that the best Seagal moment on film is the opening of Above the Law. And after that, it's like a slow slide and then a fast slide. Couldn't but agree with a, you more. There's a moment of pause and it's under siege. And it's the soundtrack, it's the direction, and it's the casting. Like I, I love the Gary Gary Busey scenes, the Tommy Lee Jones. It's just the casting is perfect. The tightness is perfect. It's just the whenever there's a lag in the in 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 action, and I that's the other thing. I was I was uh, mentioning this to I think probably to myself. Uh, oh. <laughs> what's what's great about that film is there's such a delay before the first action sequence mm-hmm. that that is a confident filmmaker and a confident action film. But you know, what's funny. One of my favorite actions. And, and, and Emily agrees. I was mentioning, yeah, Emily agrees. Emily agrees that I was mentioning it to her, but I also yeah. mentioned it to myself. <laughs> hi, Emily. Uh, he says, hi. So the funny thing is, you know what my favorite sequence in that film, like action or martial arts wise is. Which, which sequence? When they're first, like, kind of arresting him and throwing him in the meat locker. Yes. You know, it's so subtle. And then the guys come after him. It's like, it's so, but it's so realistic. Like, they come after him. He kind of does, like, a uh, Aikido, like, deflection and then a wrist lock. Yeah. And it, it yeah. just seems so kind of realistic. And I was like, it's so short and subtle, but it's, like, believable. And I like that. Yeah. Uh, and then we don't really get a whole lot of martial arts action after that. Uh, the ending knife fight is great for what it is. I know it's the thing about Under Siege is it's one of those movies that the casual viewer or someone that is not experienced with martial arts or action cinema can sit down, watch and probably enjoy. It is a popcorn 90s action flick, which were made for all audiences. It wasn't this like uh, niche group they were going for. And that's the difference between our choices just now is Drunken Master 2, I do believe is a great introduction for somebody that hasn't seen a martial arts film. But there's a lot of people that wouldn't be able to get past a couple minutes in that and having to either read subtitles or watch a dubbed film. Just some people just can't stand that. And you know what? That's their prerogative. I'm 100% opposite, but, you know, I understand. No, I, 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 but I'll tell you what, if either of those movies are on TBS and I have TBS, which I don't, but if I had it and they were starting to play on TBS... I would sit down for the full 90 minutes, or actually the full three hours with all the commercial yeah. breaks because... <laughs> Those those are those are films that are perfect, the perfect package yep. for themselves. So great great answer. And maybe next time we record, I'll, I'll uh, we'll come up with another 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 great mind blowing question like this. Awesome. Hey, I liked it. And you know what? Uh, before we get started on what we're going to talk about today, I have some exciting news. And the reason why I was delayed today by about an hour and a half because we didn't get home till super late last night. 
And you know why? Because we went to the movies last night. Oh. Like, I just smile on my face because I'm just so excited to be back in the movies. For people that don't know, I love going to movies. It's not just like one of those, what do you like to do? And it's a cop-out answer. I like to go to movies. No, I love to go to the movies. Ever since I was a kid, I love the whole magical experience of the cinematic apparatus and, you know, that weird connection between the dream world and the real world and escapism and, uh, was it Laura Mulvey, like film theorist talks about, uh, and so forth. But yes, we went to the movies last night for the first time since you and I went and saw uh, Passenger 57. Oh, pa- oh, yeah, Passenger 57, of course. Right. And so, so I, uh, go ahead. What you, is- I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Did your movie involve uh, a man fighting on a bus or did it involve a gorilla fighting on a <laughs> boat? Well, you've narrowed boat, it down. You've narrowed it down. And I guarantee you that nobody else could have narrowed it down like that. So that was my hint. Yes, we went and saw Nobody. How was it? It was fantastic. Uh, let me say, it it is an entry into the subgenre of action films of what I like to call the hidden or secret badass. So it's nothing that original in that sense. Uh, but it has stellar, fantastic action, of course, handled by 8711. And... Uh, like martial arts wise, there's really only that one uh, big fight sequence on the bus that you see in the trailer, but it's, it's longer than you'd expect. Like it's. Satisfying. And it is not one of those like sequences where all the best stuff is shown in the trailer. It's that. And then some, so that fight sequence alone is worth the price of admission. And after that, there's a ton of action, but it's almost all uh, kind of gunplay uh, with some like, you know, punching and hitting, thrown in there but tons of action like tons uh it's all done incredibly and bob odenkirk's performance is what sells it that film because the physicality he brings to it all the training he went through it just makes it so believable you buy it right he looks so real in doing everything and also the kind of uh his performance in the sense of what he brings as an actor i feel like only he could have pulled off this role and made it so good he brings this almost like hidden angst to the character, not hidden, but just deep desire to live a normal life. But he can't because it's just in him to be this bad mother fucker. Like, and so he has this, he's been keeping it all like locked up inside. It's a very Rocky Balboa-esque, you know, like, I still got stuff in the basement. It's that same sort of thing. He's tried his best for like 15 years now to live this normal life without giving away too much about his backstory. Mm-hmm. But, and it's just, it, it's so pent up and everyone just treats him like he's this little like Weasley nobody. And then it's just, he finally snaps and he realizes that as and you see and they say in the trailer like i overcompensated you know he went too straight edge <laughs> and it's like the whole rest of the movie is him like making up for lost time almost and it totally leaves it open for a sequel but the last thing i'll say real quick is there's a couple of supporting actors in there that uh, i didn't even realize were in it because i tried not to read too much about it beforehand until i saw the opening credits and so there's a couple actors in there supporting actors that they don't show in the trailer at all that are great surprises and don't steal the show, but they hold their own more than you can possibly imagine. So I recommend everyone watch it. If it's safe for you to go to theaters, our experience was extremely safe. We were spaced out by at least 20 feet. Everyone wore a mask. Uh, we obviously had our masks and I had no reservations about that whatsoever. 
That, that's great. Yeah, the, this week on Tuesday, we went to a movie and we saw we saw one with a gorilla giving hooks and everyone was well-spaced. I like the way the movie theater did it. You know, it's every other row. And if you're on the left side, the next the people on the next row on the right side, you know, so it. Uh, um, I'm planning to, because here's the deal with HBO Max, a lot of these movies, I still plan to go see in theaters like, uh, but Kong, Godzilla vs. Kong, which I'm assuming is what you're talking about. Yes. 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 <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm planning to just watch at home probably. Uh, but Mortal Kombat, I'm definitely going to go see in theaters. And it comes out on my birthday now. They like postponed it by a week. So, oh, yeah, that's right. April 23rd, y'all. Whoop, whoop. Uh, so, I want to see nobody, but I, I, going back to the theater, my one request was we have to go big or go home. So, like, we went as big as we possibly could. Right. And like, there's some. I great- wasn't, wasn't going to go see, you know, uh, Runaway Bride or something like that. But yeah. I don't even know what that movie is. Tell us more. Mm. No. So, so I did go see runaway bride in theaters though with my grandma joy. Oh, that's, that's yeah, nice. My, my mom's mom, uh, who actually used to sneak in entire tote bags of full, uh, like food. So it'd be like a picnic in the movie theater, <laughs> croissants, uh, soda pop, uh, pizza, whatever we wanted. And no one would stop her. Cause she's a grandma. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to see nobody. I want to see, uh, of course, Mortal Kombat. And then I'm looking forward to, um, what's the new Guy Ritchie, Jason Strahan movie coming oh, out in May? With Jason you Statham, the you mean? Statham, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, oh, yes, I have. Uh, oh, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. And I Ra- think it Wrath looks, of Men? Wrath of Men, yes. And I think it looks really good. I yes. think it's, it's, once again, not trying to be like anything too original. It's not trying to be you know, the next Shakespeare, anything, just like nobody, it knows what it is. It's got a fantastic team behind it. Let's just make this a kick-ass entertaining movie. And a lot of times Jason Statham always does a great job, but as we know with his uh, library of work, it does become slightly derivative of his own work. It becomes repetitive in a sense. This seems kind of fresh and exciting. So I'm really looking forward to that one as well. And the last one I will say I'm looking forward to that's coming out soon is uh, the paper tigers the martial arts film, yes. which I think is getting a theatrical and I'm really hoping uh, it may not be, you know, full on, but I'm hoping it plays in the major city so I could drive. Now I'm closest uh, to San Francisco. And so I would like to go see it in theaters. I am definitely looking forward to that one. Uh, I want to say about Jason Statham's movie, I, uh, uh, Jason Statham. Statham's movie on, uh, on uh, Twitter. I think it was cinema drunkie said, uh, the last time he was in a movie with Guy Ritchie, it was a Guy Ritchie film. Now Guy Ritchie is directing one of his films. And that is, uh, I think, the perfect way to put it. Yeah. Uh, what better way to end it on that? Because that's 100% true. Very yeah. uh, brilliantly spoken. But now we should talk about what we're going to talk about today. And it's true. Yeah. This probably won't actually take us that long because plot-wise, this film is l- lacking in a sense. and You cannot blame it. But today, what we are talking about is actually an extremely important film, not just in Thai cinema, but the overall landscape of martial arts and action cinema. Mm -hmm. And that would be the original 1984 film, Born to Fight, directed by and starring is uh, not the best. I do not speak Thai, but uh, yes, I highly enjoyed this film. And uh, this was your first time 
excuse me, your first time watching it, correct? It was. It was absolutely my first time watching it. And I was surprised by the year when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it's, it's action was, if I, if I, if it's fair to say ahead of its time. Yes. So for people that don't know, Thai cinema is very, it's very interesting. It doesn't have as diverse uh, or rich of a history or background as say like other Southeast Asian cinema, you know, whether it be Hong Kong cinema specifically mainland China or the, you know, Japan, uh, and the, the history, you know, it, they started making films there like at early 20th century, just like most areas. But, uh, you know, due to the, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, tumultuous global events of the mm-hmm. 20th century. Obviously, there are big breaks in filmmaking. So really, action cinema was never that prevalent in Thailand from the research I've done. And here's the deal. There's not a whole lot written on Thai cinema. I mean, Wikipedia is always a great, great entry point, but you have to take everything on there with a grain of salt, especially if there's no uh, (laughs) references. Right. And, you know, I tried to actually buy some books in advance of this episode to do some research and there really isn't. And like the two that are written are about a hundred bucks each. And I'm like, I just don't have that kind of money right now to throw down. But from what I can gather, it's not like, say, Japan, you know, had the rich Chambara samurai films, right? Or in the Yakuza films and then the Senichiba karate films mm-hmm. or Hong Kong, you know, beginning with the Wong Fei Hung film series and so forth. And then even China having action films really starting with Jet Li's Shaolin Temple in the late 70s. So Thailand, this this entry by Panaritikrai is kind of the first of its kind and what I, there isn't a whole lot of interviews with him either. And so reading the transcript from like one, he talks about how his films were mostly their B movies, like what we call B movies, maybe even like uh-huh. C there, they were viewed by a certain uh, audience, which would be <laughs> we, kind of outdoor theater. Or, well, you're laughing because we read the same <laughs> we, article. We read the, the only article we could probably find on this. Yeah, I've read it multiple times over the years, but pretty much these were like outdoor screenings for his movies where he says they drink moonshine, enjoy them. You know, nobody knows, knew even who he was or his movies really until obviously his protege, Tony Jaw, made mm-hmm. it huge with Ong Bak, which he was the action director for. And from that point, Thai action cinema was on the map. And I say action cinema because it's not like... It's like very localized, but nothing you don't really see anything else get released internationally aside from the action films. Now this movie, the influence of Hong Kong cinema, particularly that of Jackie Chan is extremely prevalent. And he's in that same interview. I think he talks about how, and Tony Jaws said before, obviously everyone's inspired by Bruce Lee, not to not give him credit, but really the one that inspired them more so was Jackie Chan. Uh, in what would at that time be the developing Hong Kong new wave cinema, you know, Jackie, Samo, those guys had been doing traditional Kung Fu, the Kung Fu comedies. But by this point, when this film came out, supposedly 1984, I've seen, I've read multiple dates actually, but we're just going to assume 1984, you know, by this point we had, uh, 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 the Lucky Star series had started. Yeah, it's just right. Because, yeah, Project A had come out. You know, uh, Carry On, Pickpocket, with these kind of contemporary action styles. And within this film, 
you you see a lot of that that lot of like real stunt as they say real stunt right like real hard hitting mm-hmm. and now how many how much of these films were actually getting theatrical releases in thailand at that time i don't know i don't really have that information that would require like having to go to thailand and go to the film archives read through like newspaper clippings and so forth which is a lot more difficult because i doubt they have as many in english but the one thing i was able to do was because some people might say oh well you know wheels on meals never got a theatrical release in uh thailand so how could you say they're referencing that in this scene well uh, what I did find was an article written by the New York Times in 1990 called Ooh. Thailand is the capital of pirated tapes. And <laughs> I, I have right here where they're talking about pretty much like VHS tapes being pirated in Thailand. And uh, being that this film came out in 1984, I found this one little segment is uh, pretty significant. It says, so referring to the illegal VHS trade. Of course, this is big business and big business in Thailand means political influence, petty and not so petty corruption, and sometimes threat of violence. The United States government estimates that American concerns lost $61 million last year. So that'd be 1989 in Thailand through theft of intellectual property up from $34 million in 1984. So that just goes to show that like around the time this film came out, Born to Fight, it was already a $34 million industry pirated VHS tapes. So they were able to have access probably to any of these Hong Kong Kung Fu movies they wanted, whether it was through legitimate means, like they were getting full theatrical releases or not so legitimate means, which makes it much more understandable how they would have even also been able to replicate a lot of the action because to a theater and see it and then try to remember it exactly, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you sometimes there's a great documentary that I think is on Prime now, uh, and it's about a lot of the African American martial arts pioneers in the '70s. Uh, ooh, it's got Ron Van Cleef in it, and I'm drawing a blank on the title right now. Uh, oh, that's going to drive me uh, bonkers. Hold on, uh, I'm going to look it up. Sorry, documentary Ron Van Cleef. Uh, the black Kung Fu experience Uh, and either which way. And so one of the uh, individuals there uh, interviewing, he talks about how they would go to the theaters, see it and immediately try to go home and replicate what they had watched. Like whether it was Eagle Claw or this or that. Well, when VHS tapes came out, it made that a lot easier. Rewind, play, rewind, play. Right. And so you definitely see that in uh, the first training sequence where we're introduced to our, main protagonist he's training his brother his little brother and his little sister now whether that's actual brother or sister or just the term like in uh a lot of times in asian cultures you refer to someone as your brother that is not your brother sometimes it's a cousin sometimes they're not even related that was something that was really hard for me uh to get all grasp of when i was teaching kids english and be like oh teacher i am going to my big brother's house after school and i remember asking i'm like how old is your big brother he's like uh he is 12 years old. I'm like, why does he live in a different house than you? Like I was just trying to, and he was, well, uh, I'm like, same mom, same dad. No. I'm like, so no brother, not brother. And it was funny. Then they had to, you know, I was told like, just like, you know, the expression, Guga, right? Like big brother. Yeah. Uh, uh, in Cantonese, uh, Daigo, Daigo, right? If I'm not mistaken. So uh, he's trading his brother and his sister, right? And so 
he's teaching them at first he starts off like, and then he's like, okay, it's time for me to train. He starts off doing Muay Thai, right? Crisp, yes. clean looking Muay Thai. Uh, and then he's doing traditional like Thai swords and stick like Krabby Krabong, the traditional Thai martial arts, which is interesting to see uh, because that isn't something they'd be exposed to in film. That's something he must've just learned uh, in real life. But then it's like his little brother and sister, like, we want to see like Kung Fu. We want to see, he's like, where's your national pride? Fine. I will do drunken, you know, I will do snake fist for you. He does a whole snake form. Now here's Mm -hmm. the deal. It doesn't look as flowing and and as beautiful as when Jackie does it. And you could tell he's pretty much like making it up, but it's still pretty damn impressive. And you see the physicality of Panaritakai, right? He doesn't have that quite the same acrobatic ability, or even, as I said, like the natural flow of like Chinese wushu, but still looks pretty good. And then he does drunken boxing, same thing. Uh, and so his actual background was, I, I, I do know from what I'm sure you read, he would train, he had his own stunt team. He would train actors in like Thai, uh, the Thai film industry. Now his mm-hmm. actual like martial arts background, full fledged, I'm not hundred percent sure. You know, it, it could be easily assumed, but probably I would say not accurately that, oh, he trained Muay Thai, right? His whole life. Or, oh, he's a Muay Thai fighter. But, and, you know, I'm sure he did learn Thai and Muay Thai. And when you're in Thailand, you're going to get the best quality instruction at that, in that era. And so he pulls it off all brilliantly. Uh, but what, the actual, uh, go ahead. No, what, so what I like about that sequence is, it kind of harkens back to what we were talking about with the Rage and Honor 2, the training sequences of uh, Patrick Muldoon and Richard Norton. I was trying to think of Patrick Muldoon's Tony, Tony Andrews and uh, Preston Michaels. Mm-hmm. There's some great shadow kickboxing sequences that oh, take yeah. place in that film. And also in this film, uh, I mean, yes, you're right. It's not like what Jackie was doing in, in, in his films. But if you're, if you're talking like about a film in 1984 taking place outside of Hong Kong that has that caliber of shadow kickboxing of shadow boxing or shadow kickboxing. I really, as I was watching, I'm like, I cannot think of another film that has this caliber of kickboxing until maybe uh, shadow boxing until maybe not including the Rocky films until maybe Rage and Honor two. Uh, I'm sure I am overlooking perfect weapon. Uh, and a few other, a few other American films that, like maybe China O'Brien had some, but well, like it, it all doing. depends. It depends whether you're counting katas or forms or not. Yeah, and I totally agree and get what you're saying because, like that, someone might say, well, "What about the Korean like co-productions with Hong Kong?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, duh, it's you know co-production. It's like you're yeah. gonna have awesome Chinese martial arts in there and so forth." But you're right; it's just watching him train. That's when you know you've got a very unique star and performer when you can just sit back and watch them do like a kata or a form, or in this case, just shadow boxing. Like you said, like, yeah. Damn, he's got some uh, tight, crisp, clean form. I mean, but- they, yeah. The, the one thing that, 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 that frustrated me a little bit in that scene is like, we're seeing something special and epic for that time, particularly for 1984 outside of Hong Kong. But the, you know, sometimes he's going slightly out of frame and everything. I'm just like, oh, I yeah, wish they could have like, unfortunately the version, that's the version we have. It's the only version available. Yeah. It's the even DVD. Cause I was actually contemplating, uh, getting it on my Netflix queue, but I read on there, it's the same version on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and it's this pan and scan, you know, where it, the, a lot of the action gets cut off. So in its original theatrical release, and if somebody was to do like a proper DVD release where they scan the original, uh, it would be perfectly framed. But instead, a lot of it ends up getting cutting cut off on this version on YouTube. 
Yeah. And the version that is available on DVD to this day. And that's unfortunate because the action in this film is about the plot. Okay. The plot's non-existent. So now back to the action. Uh, but no, really, it, the plot has more holes than you could possibly imagine. Pretty much the basic idea is there's some sort of Hong Kong triads. One guy like runs off with money or something. He flees to Thailand. Everyone's after him. Uh, our protagonist is hired to find him. Uh, but then the protagonist, and, doesn't the protagonist protect him at some point? Well, yeah, I, he's yeah. hired to find him. I didn't say he was hired to kill him. The other guys are trying to kill him. Like, really, it just doesn't make much sense. And this film... Uh, the, the, the plot is the, the least of our concerns, right? So the actual, the yeah. first action sequence is when like the bad guys, oops, excuse me, are coming after him in Thailand. And it, they use the, the brilliant cinematic low budget technique of having ninjas come after him. Because what does ninjas mean? You only need a couple stunt guys. Like when they yes. show up, you can have anybody, you could have the AD like in a ninja outfit, right? So you've got like 15 ninjas there. Yeah. Then when it cuts to the different action sequences, it's just the same guy dressed up as a ninja, probably Panaritakai yeah. doing a majority of it. In that first sequence, we are shown how this is definitely Hong Kong inspired action. The mm -hmm. hard hitting, like real hit, as they say, like you see the feet hit them, you see the dust fly off very much a Samo and Jackie type yes. thing. The Straight physicality, the, the, the style they're doing does not look like Muay Thai. It looks more like, Hong Kong cinema, like Korean style kicking, you know, they're sweeping each other on the ground. They're hitting each other full fledged in the body. Uh, not as much flow in the choreography. And that probably has to do with the fact that it was so low budget. They had a limited amount of film stock. This is 1984. They can't watch the playback as much. So any longer intricate sequences, that's a going to take more takes, use more film and be harder to really nail down. So it's a lot of one-offs, a lot of boom, big kick. Maybe punch, punch, boom, big punch, or bum, bum, big kick. You know, nothing too intricate. You're not getting a lot of bum, bada bum, bada bum, bada bum, like the rhythm Jackie talks about, right? It's not like even like a lot of tracking or traveling shots either. They're mostly static, camera stays still, just so uh, they can probably get it in the least amount it takes possible. And the other thing is by hitting each other for real in these shots, they may have only needed to do it once because it's like, hey, we don't have to sell it. We're hitting each other. And so that's that first sequence. Our first fight sequence with our protagonist is after the aforementioned training sequence. Like some guys show up once again. What are they wearing? Not ninja outfits, but uh, the black like silk stockings like they're about to rob a convenience store. So same yeah. thing. You got a big group of them, but really all you need is like one or two uh, competent stuntmen to do the actions. Like he fights one, then he fights the next, then he fights. And same thing. There's a few moments where they'll do a little bit more extended like punching like there's one sequence where pretty much the one guy just right left straight 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 and then mm -hmm. our protagonist is in the arm and shoulders which is easier to pull off right but also sometimes they do a lot of not like open hand slaps but almost uh kind of thumb up as opposed to yeah. hooks that where you turn it they're like palm hitting each other that way they can control it a little bit more because same thing they do do some like real punches to the face where they probably put like cotton swabs or whatever in there to absorb it. But for the most part, they probably, it's not like Jackie who was able to do 200 tanks on the, excuse me, 200 takes on the young master with the fan sequence. They, mm -hmm. they have enough film stock for like one to two takes max on the most intricate sequences. So it, it, same thing. It's, you know, maybe kick, faint, 
bam, big old like teep right in the chest, knocks the guy down. Or, and then as soon as he does that, the other guy comes into frame and they cut to a close up of like Panaritakai getting whacked in the face, right? And when they do do those big ones, they do the Jackie like double, triple like replay. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So you get to see like, you know, wow, we're hitting each other for real. Bomb, bomb, bomb. And, and I'm not trying to knock the choreography, not by any means. It's brilliant yeah. for what it is. And it's so entertaining. Uh, the only downside is like you said, a lot of action gets cut off. And that yeah. is just because of the version that's available to this day. You, you know, it's funny how you, how you mentioned the, the limited number of takes as well, because as I was watching this, and it really always frustrates me when um, the Western market or the U.S. market reviews a film, like a beat Takeshi movie when Hana, Fireworks Hanabi came out. They're like, he's the Charles Bronson of Japan or the Robert Mitchumo. He is the Robert Mitchum of Japan. I'm just like, no, he's not. He's beat Takeshi. So yes. I, I'm going to make a reference here that I, I, I usually don't like making these cross-references, but when I was watching this film and watching the action sequences, I'm like, this is the original El Mariachi meets uh, like Wheels on Meals or Winners and Sinners because it's just like, it, they have to get it right within one to two takes and they have to, you know, they're, they're trying to stretch for these amazing stunts. Like the, the sequence, which I think you're about to lead to, which I think is either the third or fourth action sequence where he's fighting uh, the gang of motorcycle fighters. At the bar, it, right? Like the outdoor uh, yeah. bar? Yeah. Yeah, and then there's some motorcycles driving at him. It, it, it is literally, it almost seems like it's the scene out of, in the Mar- Spanish marketplace. Yeah, in Wheels, Wheels on Meals, Meals right? And I'm yeah. looking, they're, they're released the same year. So like, you know, I don't know. Is that just uh, one idea flowing through or did Meals on Wheels get released early on uh, pirated videotape for him to watch? And then let's do that stunt. Well, let's do that one right there. Like, see, the thing is, Wheels on Meals was released in August of 84. I want to say this one supposedly, if you, let's see, it says May of 84. So, but no, it doesn't actually say. So it could have been, it had to have been afterwards. I'm just saying there's no way because same thing I instantly saw. I was like, they're trying to replicate Wheels on Meals, the kick of the guy off the dirt bike. But they also, Mm -hmm. he doesn't go for like the full-fledged double kick either. It's like, kick him. And (laughs) so that's the thing. The influence of Jackie Samo and stuff is undeniable. And just as a real quick thing, the reason we're not talking about the plot is not only does it have so many holes, it's got long sequences without action that's really hard to watch. It's very localized humor. And that's the thing, Thailand, Southeast Asia in general, Thailand, Philippines. If you spend any time in these areas and gone to the movies and seen trailers for like local releases, it's it's a very different type of humor. So there is universal humor that sells all over the world. Certain types of slapstick, for example, Mr. Bean. And I think I probably talked about this before. When I first moved to Thailand and I was on a little boat trip to the PP Islands, the whole boat was just like United Nations. There was uh-huh. for people from all over the world. China, local Thailand, me as an American, every European country you can think of, Russia, uh, Japan. I saw everyone because there's tour guides with their little flags, right? Mm-hmm. So Mr. Bean was playing on like the hour long boat ride and this, the boat was just cracking up everyone. And I was looking around, I was like, wow, Mr. Bean sells. No dialogue, physical comedy, and it works. That being said, it's very rare, right? Humor is based off your culture a lot of the time. And so what the, the humor they were throwing in here was probably funny to their local audience. To us, it's really drawn out. However, I must say that his sidekick in the movie is, I don't know if he was truly inspired by Hong Kong martial arts actor, uh, I guess you call him character actor, uh, Chin Yet Song or uh, Yet Song Chin, sometimes he's credited as both. 
but uh, they he looks like his Thai cousin. And I'm not sure if you know which actor I'm referring to exactly. I, I but, think I know who you mean. Uh, Chin Yat Song, if you look him up and then you watch this movie, they look so similar. It's like he's trying almost to impersonate him. And the humor just gets so like, it just drives you crazy. And then, so really we have a short action sequence where like some guys trying to mug him. It's, you know, it's great. Like the, all of them, but then the next big action sequence is the motorcycle gang. Like you talked Mm -hmm. about where they're doing a lot of same thing. Boom, hard hit guy flies off a table, lands funny on a bench or a chair, you know, and a lot of it is that just one off big bang hits simply because, you know, that's, I think my theory is just, they didn't have the budget to make a lot of the choreography too intricate. And when we look at Panaritokai's skills, incredible, right? He does some uh, great gymnastic stuff. He's in fantastic shape at this point in his life. You could tell very flexible, very limber. All the kickboxing is there. The jump aerial kicks are there, but nothing like too, too fancy in a sense, because Mm -hmm. this is a great example of how like Tony Jaw, his protege, who was inspired by these movies, he did see these films. And I believe it was Panaritikrai directly who told him like, hey, go get like a physical education, like sports school education, which he did. So Tony Jaw actually formally, you know, uh, obviously learning Muay Thai and stuff for the movies. And that's why, let's say when you look at Born to Fight as compared to Ong Bak, and what Tony Jaw was able to do in that a lot is very similar stuff. Like the grounded, like roundhouse kicks and, you know, jump spin kicks, whatever. Panaritikai, Tony Jaw, like that same level. But then Tony Jaw was able to do just so much more of the aerial gymnastics, like mind blowing type stuff. And I think it's just an evolution of the performer, which is commonplace in all martial arts cinema, look at the performers in American martial arts cinema as compared to the eighties, right? You know, Michael Dudikoff as compared to, uh, I mean, obviously Scott Atkins is British, but I'd say, I should say the Western martial arts market, right? Night and day difference. And it's a similar thing. And so we, we have that, uh, the biker gang fight scene, which is great. And then pretty much we go to the finale. I don't even know how we got there. Like, or what's really going on at this point. (laughs) I, I was actually a little confused. I'm like, did I, did I miss something? And I'm like, I was worried about like coming on the podcast to talk about this film because I thought I really missed something. So I went back and I was like rewatching. I'm like, no, I don't think I missed anything. Here's the deal. We first said we were going to do this a few weeks ago. We've been a little bit behind. We had a couple of uh, episodes already filmed or released, uh, or recorded, I should say. And so I, I watched this in its entirety about a month ago, maybe even a little bit more. And I went back to watch it again all the way through. I can watch the action sequences over and over again. I honestly could not watch it all the way through again. I just couldn't do it. I was like, nope. And I was just fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Uh, But so then we get to the finale, which is great. And I think a lot of people may have even just watched the finale. Because remember, that's the first thing I ever saw from this film that was released on YouTube. And in it, we just have, it is the piece de resistance of the film. Because it's, if you thought there was some big hits earlier on in like big, intricate uh, stunt work, the finale is where the big, big stuff happens. It's very comparable to like the finale of say Ong Bak, where it's, you know, he jumps in the air and lands on a dude's head or, you know, the final jump in the air, double knee on the guy, they go through the wood, which they actually do in this film, right? They did this first (laughs) in that and you see that or two guys jumping off like a second story platform. It's kind of this like wooden, 
these wooden platforms they have mm-hmm. out in the jungle where they are. And so it's like slow motion. They both jump in the air. They kick each other midair and fall down what would be like one to two stories and land on the ground. You know, big, you know, he, 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 our Panarichikai will knock out a bad guy. Then the other bad guy jumps in the air, does like a double kick to his head. And then you see the slow motion. It's just the very impressive stunt work that was way ahead of its time. It was yeah. truly inspired by Hong Kong in that sense from the the pace of the choreography, like fast moving. Obviously, as we, I've said it multiple times now, they couldn't be as intricate due to a lack of budget. Actually, taking it to that next step when it came to the hard hitting yeah. action. And the reason why I constantly say like real hit is because I've, I've heard that like in interviews when people speaking in Thai, you know, it's like, it, they'll say like almost like English, like real hit, real action, you know, uh, referencing the fact that, yeah, we're, we're going all out. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, um, so I love, I love the way I love everything about this movie when it comes to what they were trying to do. And this, <laughs> This almost like harkens back to our um, Sean Cannon interview where it's like you you wake up and you go for it. These guys like, you know, they're seized the day, seized the morning. These guys seize the film. They're like, we don't have much of a script. Let's just uh, shoot one guy stealing paper out of a out of somebody's desk drawer, which wasn't the most intricate paper that's going to, you know, throw off his whole entire life. And then, of course, he leaves his wallet there so they know who did it. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, but the uh, they're just like, let's get to these action sequences and let's shoot them in a way that you're going to see maximum impact. So I don't know if they like when they were like, re- you know, showed again in slow motion. Sometimes the camera angle did change a little bit. It's like, so they've shot the sequence t- twice or they shot it with two cameras. I don't think it was a two camera setup. So these guys just really went for it. And this final, the final fight sequence, you know, there, there are shades of, um, so I get a couple of the Tony John movies mixed up. I'll be I'll be candid okay. with you. I get the the sequels mixed up, the Ongbok two sequel and the Protector sequel. Okay, uh, but there's the there's that uh, hotel sequence where he like, has to go up the stairs and everything. That's the first uh, Protector, Tom Yong Gung, the okay. first one. Well, yeah, yeah. So so I'm like seeing things in this film that they later that they later cleaned up and perfected. And Tony Jaws films. And let's not forget that and people would say, oh, well, that's a cop out. No. In fact, actually, Jackie did the opposite. He would redo a lot of his choreography. Not as good for the American release. Not not his fault. Right. I know. And no. by the way, happy birthday, Jackie Chan. Yesterday was his birthday. Uh, you know, by no means. But they did reuse some of the little gags, the little like, you know, even when yeah. he accidentally like put his puts his hands on a uh a female's chest region right and it's like oh i'm sorry you know like that gag's been done a few times even yeah. like uh a specific like bits of choreography or you know action sequence like or sometimes it's done a little bit better like let's look at fearless hyena with the the pots and pan or the way he's trying yeah. not to break them and then rush hour <laughs> where they redo that i actually kind of the rush hour version you know yeah was it was done on par with that if maybe even a little bit better but yeah it's it's not uncommon to recycle you know, stuff and clean it up. Like you said, because when they first did this one, I mean, they, they were just going for broke. They were the innovators, the pioneers for Thai action cinema. And the biggest bummer is that there's a decent amount of Panarichikai's old films on 
them are not as entertaining, unfortunately, because some of them are like weird, like black magic inspired, like which is a local thing. And also probably just trying to replicate the even the juncture genre of the hopping vampires of Hong Kong cinema and therefore taking like the local Thai equivalent. I've seen some like that where it's like, uh, there's a lot of like, they try to be like greedy crime or like almost war type movies. And mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a few of them that are available on Netflix and a few of them that are on YouTube and you can watch clips of and they're they're just not as entertaining as this first one. But obviously they were they were honing their craft while doing. Yeah. This. And, and I think sometimes people start to take themselves too seriously. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that he took himself too seriously, but like whoever, whatever the script writer is, maybe right. need to get more people involved. All of a sudden, like you're overthinking. I think you nailed it on the head. A successful and product. I'm just going to say that's that's the perfect analysis that I even think of. It's like you bring in more people. It's like, oh, hey, we've got this guy backing it. Uh, so we have a little bit bigger of a budget. Oh, but he wants to make it more like a real movie. So we're going to be like intricate. I'm a policeman standing here with my gun like this, yeah. you know, and uh, sacrificing a little bit uh, of that creativity in the action sequences and so forth. And unfortunately, the only way we could really know a lot of the time what was going through his mind is if we could have interviewed him. And he unfortunately passed away. It's God, it's like 12 years ago now, I want to say. Uh, he was in his early mid fifties. Uh, and the interesting part is like you watch him in Born to Fight. I love his screen presence as an actor, right? Uh, I feel mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, he was great. He, it's not like he's a Shakespearean classically trained actor, but he did the job and He's just in phenomenal shape. You see that, right? He's lean, mean, fighting machine. But really, when you see like pictures of him towards the end, or even one of his last like great acting role where he played the villain in Bangkok Knockout, which is another film we should look at because I just rewatched yeah. it for the first time in like a decade, and it actually stands the test of time. And then some. A lot of the movies that I liked it like a, ten years ago that came out, I watch them now. I'm like, oh god. But no, that one is still fantastic, and he plays like one of the main villains. And his performance in that is great, but physically you could see, and I think he had some underlying health issues because man, he just looks drained in a sense. You know what I mean? Maybe it was all the years of just the hard hitting stunts. I know I read somewhere that you probably did too. The worst thing he ever did was dislocate his shoulder, but I don't know. I think, I think that life took its toll on him. Right. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that uh, I'm not sure what he had, if it was like maybe cancer or something. Hold on. Let me, I have, let's see here. Uh, no, unfortunately, I guess not. I thought I did. Oh, wait, hold on. Maybe it's uh, here we go on his Wikipedia page. Let's see here. He had been receiving treatment for liver disease. brought on by acute liver and kidney failure on July 20th, 2014. It was also later discovered he had a brain tumor. So, I mean, yeah, he that's why towards the end, you see those last few pictures of him and stuff. You're like, man, he looks... Because all the way up until like uh, you, you, there's pictures of him at like the release of Tom Young Gung and stuff. He looks pretty good. He, he was performing fantastic in Bangkok Knockout, which came out in 2010 when I was living in mm-hmm. Thailand. Uh, and his physicality is still great. But really, you could see the health issues that were unfortunately hitting him hard towards the end there. And I would have uh, loved to have had someone truly interview him truly. And you know what? I'm sure members of his stunt team that are still working now and Tony Jaw, I guess, would be the best one to ask. Uh, to do more research on that and really see his specific inspirations, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I would love to, I think we've talked about alluded to this a little bit in our, in our text exchange, like 
diving a little more into this uh into this uh not genre i, I but the film's coming out of thailand it would yeah. be great to do a couple more and then and then uh see if tony wanted to come on the show and yeah hey, he, he went on scott atkins like, podcast and you know we we give scott atkins a run for his money i mean yes he's more handsome than both of us yes He's a better martial artist than both of us. Yes, he's a major motion picture star that's, you know, headlined some of the best martial arts films of the 21st century. Yes, he's just as equally as well-versed in martial arts films as us. Okay, now I'm starting to doubt us. Maybe maybe Scott Atkins but, is... Uh, well, you know what, though? Like, I've looked at his guests, and I'm sorry, he hasn't had... Sifu Alex Richter on the show yet. He has not he had the Kung Fu genius. Uh-uh. He, he has not had Sean Kane on his show yet. So Nope. Hey. Mike Barnes? <laughs> was Mike Barnes Mike, on there? No. no. Has he had, uh, you know, uh, Frank Peters, tra- a.k.a. Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham? And has he, has he, uh, has he tweeted to Jeff Wincott and not received replies yet? Probably not. No, no. Because he's Probably too afraid. Not. He's too afraid. Yeah. You win for it, dog. You win for it. You tweeted Jeff Wincott directly. You know what? And I'm sorry, Jeff. I tagged you. Yes, I'm calling people by their first names now. I tagged you in a clip from from uh, Night Heat to the best kick you ever threw on film, and it's a really good kick. And sorry you didn't like it. <laughs> what if What if Scott Atkins secretly listens to our podcast? Secretly? Secretly? Oh, oh it's, a, it's a well. You know, I've, I've got a friend of a friend of a friend. Inside information. He eagerly yeah. anticipates. Yeah, he's been, he's been waiting. He's been waiting. Yeah. But no, I know we're, we're, we're busting balls right now, but yeah, I love we're busting our balls. <laughs> yeah. We're busting our own balls because Scott Atkins podcast, like every episode, I'm just like, man, he is so good. I'm like, really? Did you have to be that good at another thing, dude? But I think he brings, he brings a unique factor in the sense of martial arts star relating to other martial arts stars. Because yes. we're not yet. Cause <laughs> in case people didn't know, we're planning to, uh, start a series of films starring Gavin and I it's going to be called uh what, what was that name you came up with oh wait wait what was it uh, 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 <laughs> oh damn I I don't know now we're uh well we can't we, talk about it on the air yeah oh yeah that's right that's right it's yeah. uh you know confidentiality agreements we sign with each other yeah yeah that's right <laughs> uh, uh are you wearing the Don the Dragon Oh, you notice I'd even have to say anything. Yes, I am wearing an official Don the Dragon Wilson Traditions t-shirt. I'm standing up so the camera can see it in case this does get, you know, this one now I got to put on YouTube. Bam, Don the Dragon. And you know who I bought this t-shirt from? From his, uh, from his brother? Well, I mean, his brother was there, but I was going to say yeah. Don the Dragon because I bought it oh, from okay, yeah. Don the Dragon. I've, wait, I've wait, met, I've met Don the Dragon. Go ahead. No, we probably bought it the same t-shirt at the same dragon fest you know what's funny people love this shirt like because they and they don't even know what it is at first they just like the color scheme most of the shirts i would probably not wear but i wanted to support the brand and i liked the shirt so i bought it and it's literally one of the shirts i get the most compliments on from people outside of martial arts like people even in kind of more the fashion industry like jessica really likes this shirt i was like wow it's a really cool shirt and then I explain what it is and they're like okay it's not as cool now but uh and I'm like, well oh, you're wrong. you're a jerk but I love this shirt. And uh, Don the Dragon Wilson is an awesome dude. I've met him, you know, multiple times over the years yeah. now. Uh, one of these days, he might remember me. Uh, but, well, you know. He, you're right. He might remember us or he might not. But I will say every time you meet him, doesn't he treat you like an old friend? 
Oh, hundred percent. He's seriously like one of the, now, as I've always said, Richard Norton is the nicest guy. And Richard actually remembers us uh, usually. Uh, yeah, well, bless me. him. Yeah. yeah. And, and I remember his, his wonderful wife, Judy, remembered me once by name. And I was just like, you guys remember who I am? Uh, but Don the Dragon Wilson is also one of those guys, super nice. Never, I don't have a single bad thing to say about the guy. He's just, just a gentleman, right? Like just super funny. He's always so like sharp and witty too. He may retell you the same story, but hey, you know. Very, very nice guy. Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, when I when I walked up to him in like the the hotel lobby for Dragon for Dragon Fest, it was like he greeted me. And I'm like, does I was wondering if I if like had we met before? No, <laughs> of course not. But he just it's it's it kind of goes to that the thread we've been talking about with like the Bushido code and mm-hmm. and just how friendly people are. I was just rewatching uh, another one of his old fights that just got posted on YouTube this morning. And I'm like, damn, the dude, the dude was good. He was a bad mother. And like, you know, a lot of people forget he fought across all eras, like seven. Still fighting in the early two thousands is like last pro fights or whatever. And he fought across all rules because a lot of people have this misconception. He only fought in the PKA system, which is full contact karate, AKA kicks above the waist. No, he fought, Muay Thai rules. He went to Asia and fought actual like Thai champions and Thai rules. These fights are on YouTube, by the way. I only like specifically will reference things that I can watch and see. He fought WKA, which would be international rules, which is all punches, all low kicks inside, outside. Uh, he won titles, world titles and that. Uh, but yes, most of his fights were within the kind of full contact rule set, but he fought across all of them. And he was like, Never afraid to, you know, he beat some of the, the greatest champions of all time. Uh, uh, Bronco Sikatek, or, you know, one of mm-hmm. the, the first K1 uh, champion he beat. And that guy was like twice his size. You watch that fight. It isn't a matter of, oh, that was a bullshit decision. Uh, Don just knocks him out. He, 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 he's like, if I were to describe him, I would just say like smooth, cool dominance. It just like... You don't... Sometimes you see him in the in the ring and you see the other fighters and they're just like upset growling and then here he is just kind of like relaxed yep and then and here's he just lifts his legs and he's knocking people out twofold and this is don himself i've heard him say this kind of interviews and stuff and our coach peter sugarfoot cunningham uh, you know speaks of it also because i think you know later on in don's career he trained at the jet center a lot right especially because by that time he moved to hollywood and originally he was like all right i'm retired i'm doing hollywood now then he found out quite quickly oh, i guess i got to keep fighting now also you know <laughs> more money there for me at the moment but and I think Don's kind of reiterated this, so I, I don't feel like this is offensive, but he never trained that hard because he always stayed in shape. So, yeah. you know, and like, cause you know, PD or sensei will talk about like, man, I see him come in the gym and you know, he'd hit the bag for a couple of minutes, really light, do some shadow boxing, maybe some jump rope and be like, all right, I'll see you guys later. And because, so I guess like, if you always stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Right. And by that yeah. point in his career, he's one of those fighters that had so much experience that staying in good shape and having all that experience that puts you above other like guys. But, and the one last thing I will say about him that uh, Sugarfoot has told us, he was deceptively strong. He hit hard. That's what, cause you know, he does a lot of those flicky kicks. And for anybody that watches that, they think, oh, that's, you know, I've even heard people say, oh, it's bullshit. Those flick kicks, blah, blah. And Sensei's told me, he's like, nah, those things hurt because he was an athlete. He grew up, he was a phenomenal star athlete, football, basketball. So he has that, you know, base strength for one, but 
he, you know, our sensei told me he hit hard, like his punches, they were heavy. His kicks, even yeah. those little flick ones, it probably felt like a lot of people's Muay Thai kicks, right? He was just a phenomenal, strong athlete. And I don't know how we got on Dom the Dragon aside from my shirt, but yeah, the shirt. Yeah. In closing thoughts. Uh, again, this, this film was a, it's kind of a groundbreaking film. And yes, as a, as a martial arts movie fan, I think it's, you know, it's kind of embarrassing, I guess, that I hadn't watched it before. Maybe not really embarrassing, but it's, it's, it's a film that people should get their hands on and watch. It's available on Netflix, on, on YouTube. YouTube. YouTube, very easily, Born to Fight, 1984. Not to be confused with the same stunt group, like, you can't even say remade, but they made a newer film in the mid-2000s called Born to Fight, which, yeah. you know, has a lot of phenomenal stunt work and so forth, but yeah. pretty much completely unrelated. So 1984, Born to Fight, Pana if you want to see the foundation, the starting point for Thai action cinema that we know all know and love so much now, where Tony Jaw got his influence and who he trained under, this is a great film to watch. Try to watch it all the way through the first time. I always think everybody should, you know, with any sort of movie, but understandable if you have trouble getting through the kind of uh, bland, comical moments and weird uh, in-between filler sequences, in-between the action, but definitely give it a watch. And, and I, I, go ahead. And I am going to say you have done so much more justice to Panarittikai's name than I did to Jason Straitham's. <laughs> <laughs> you were thinking of David Straitham, right? Like, because Jason Statham has become such a great actor now. Yes, exactly. But there, there isn't a whole lot to like research wise to do and so forth. Uh, and I think I don't even know if the pronunciation's right, but I'm just trying to Panarittikai. I'm just trying to add a little bit of the Thai accent. And I apologize if it's terrible and, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best. But uh, that being said, we haven't decided what we're doing next, but you know what we've never done before? What have we never done before? A Dawn the Dragon Wilson movie. We have not. So because we just talked about him so much, I'm going to decide for us right now. I don't know what one, but we're going to do a Dawn the Dragon Wilson movie next. What I do like you think? it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, because uh, his library of work is extensive. It's very yes. unique. Because uh, I, I grew up loving his movies and not really knowing why. <laughs> because at that point I was already, you know, well into Jackie and the Hong Kong films, but he has a screen presence that is undeniable. And he's one of my favorite performers Yeah, in that sense. So we will pick one and that will be our next one. We do any closing thoughts. Good. No, I, I I'm we've hit, we've, we've done it. Yes. Awesome. Uh, everyone check it out. Everyone go see nobody if you can. Uh, and I hope everyone's staying safe, saying, Happy out there. All right, my man. See ya. See you later. Peace. Bye. Bye.